1: Rachel from the Small Giants community, and if you are enjoying this podcast with Paul, you will love hanging out with 250 other purpose-driven leaders. Register for the annual Small Giants Community Summit, where we bring together like-hearted leaders from around the country for three days of learning and connecting. Visit smallgiants.org to learn more and register, and we'll see you there.
0: My guest today is Brian Papay. Having inherited his grandfather's entrepreneurial spirit, it wasn't until a life or death ski accident at the age of 20 that Brian fully realized his vision to begin a legacy of generosity. That led to the launch of his company, Mir, in 2010, a lifestyle products company with an aim to provide people with access to a better future. Welcome, Brian. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you. There's a lot to unpack there. And uh, I, I want to uh, start with really what's Mir and tell me what the company does.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Mir is, uh, is you know, I guess I guess it's my firstborn. Uh, I have two kids now. So, so Mir was uh, the first baby, so to speak, and launched the brand in 2010 uh, with the idea of merging business and philanthropy um, into one. So leveraging market-based solutions um, and then being able to be generous uh, with some of the profits and revenue of the company. So we're, we're based in Seattle. We're an active lifestyle brand, uh, primarily selling um, you know, stainless products in the drinkware space. And uh, we, have, we have a blast doing what we do. So how do you
0: merge that with the philanthropy side? What's the, the kind of a stated model of how you guys do it? I think it's really unique.
1: Yeah, so we uh, we have a couple uh, ways that we approach it. The kind of most straightforward is that we we give three percent of our revenue towards trackable giving projects. And so, for those who are listening, you know, it's not you know it's not based on profits. So it's not based on whether we make money or not. We're committed to giving three percent of our of our top line revenue um, to causes that we're passionate about uh, that are. Helping improve the lives and empowering people around the world. And what's cool is we—it's an invitation for our customers as well. So every single mirror product, uh, on the bottom of them, there is a unique code. And once the customer registers that, they can follow along um, and see different giving initiatives, partnerships that we've done um, with various customers like Blue Bottle Coffee or, or Patagonia, and see some of the world-changing stuff that we're doing together as a community.
0: So if I buy one of your bottles, I'm going to find out by going online and, and uh, using that code that was on the bottom of the bottle to track the activity?
1: That's right. That's right. So we, we give irregardless of whether somebody registers or not. Um, but the idea of this of this trackable giving and this give code that we have is um, came out of a trip from 2011. Uh, my wife and I had traveled over to Liberia, Africa, where we, we worked on some of our first clean water projects. And it was, a, it was an amazing trip. It was a life-changing trip. Uh, we came back from that trip um, showed our friends who were our first customers the photos from the trip and, and one of my buddies, uh, Pat, looked at me and he was like, holy cow, the, those photos that uh, you sh- you're showing me like that's from the bottle that I purchased and a huge light bulb went off in my head that you know nobody at the time was really connecting their customers with the good works that they were doing and so I thought it was such a missed opportunity to really kind of inspire customers beyond the purchase um, to be transparent and then also hopefully encourage them to do other things in their lives. So that was kind of the idea. So 2011, we started this idea of, of trackable giving that you could you could actually see where the money was going and what uh, was going on and, and who we were impacting around the world. So it's, it's been tremendous.
0: That's really cool. When I think about, uh, you know, Tom's shoes or Bomba socks or things like that, where they give one for everyone that's purchased, things like that. How do you keep the consumer engaged? Right. In other words, it's a great story. But how, how do you keep that community of consumers engaged in the story?
1: Totally great question. So for us, you know, the way that we look at, at products and marketing the brand, first and foremost, we're a product based company, and that's how we approach design, marketing, and, and product innovation. Is that we have to be if we're going to if we're choosing to compete in the marketplace, uh, we have to have a compelling product in addition to a compelling story, and so. Um, that's why you'll see a lot of our, our products kind of first to market. Uh, w- we spend a, a ton of time and, and energy on, um, product innovation and how do we, how do we delight our customers and have them to have the best experience with our products, um, so that we're not solely relying on the generosity or the good works that, um, the company does. So while that's all great, we want to make sure that our customers love and just thrive with the products that we use. They tell their friends and, and then hopefully, you know, with this, Giving component, it's, it's another kind of icing on the cake. They're like, oh, and also, you know, this great brand mirror. I love the camp cup that I use every day. Um, and also, you can register this code, follow along, and you can see the good works across, across the world. So a couple ways we engage, um, obviously, product innovation. And then also, you know, we update stories. We have great content that comes from our impact team. Um, that really aligns with our partners. So the people, um, the nonprofits that we grant to uh, report back from the field as to the progress that's being made in communities that we've invested in. Um, And then we in turn share that with with the community.
0: That's wonderful. Now, uh, in terms of size and scope of the company, it started 2010. Where are you guys in terms of employees, uh, revenues, if you can share that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, we're we're still privately held. Um, we we don't disclose revenues, but what we've done is we've been able to grant um, over seven hundred thousand dollars since inception. So we're we're nearing a million dollars of grant making, which is pretty fun. Um, it's 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 an incredible blessing to be able to have a company that's growing and profitable, um, and then being able to share that with the world is is just really a, it's it's a true um, it was a dream of mine, and to be able to realize that is incredible. Uh, we have a flagship store in Seattle and uh, kind of between all the, the meerkats is kind of our internal team, team name of each individual mm. person. Um, we've got about 40 meerkats. Uh, we've we've had 100% compounded on growth since inception. So, you know, a big growth curve and, and, and growth is awesome, but it's also really, really hard um, sometimes with systems. And when you're a consumer products company, you know, you have to buy inventory in order to sell it. So, you know, the growth has been good, but it's also been challenging as well.
0: Yeah, it's hard to grow that kind of business no matter what, but it looks like you're doing it in a pretty special way. And I know that moment uh, when you guys went to Liberia, you and your wife, uh, like you said, really changed the scope of things. But um, I want to take you back to the early days when this whole entrepreneurial idea or spirit was, seemed to be born uh, with your grandfather. What were those early childhood experiences that led to you doing what you're doing today?
1: Yeah, so I, um, you know, I, I grew up in a family where uh, my grandfather on my dad's side had started a family business after World War II. Um, it's, it's still owned by the family, and my cousin's the CEO. And you know, so I grew up watching my grandfather build this company. Then I watched my uncle, you know, kind of take over and grow the company. And so I had this first row seat into you know, kind of entrepreneurialism and 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 starting things and growing things and and the benefits of, of starting the company. So you know, seeing somebody within your family do that and kind of have success, I think it emboldens one to be able to do it. You know, I think when you see other people who maybe you're not related to, it's, it's almost like one step removed of like, well, you know, I might be able to do it, but I I don't know this person. Whereas, you know, I, I remember looking and, and seeing my grandfather and be like, you know, I'm related to this person. If he can do it, certainly I can do it. So I, I was certainly lucky enough to watch him, um, grow this company. And, um, so that, of entrepreneurial spirit, you know, whether it's, you know, in my blood, I don't, I don't know, but at an early age, I always kind of remember whether it was washing cars or an allowance and, and kind of, you know, not, not necessarily chasing the money, but kind of going, okay, if I, you know, if I'm making seven bucks an hour, the most I can make, you know, is, you know, in 10 hours, would be 70 bucks. Right. And going, well, how do I, how do I unpack that and reverse engineer? How can I make more for the sake of like, um, you know, using my time wisely. So it wasn't about like making more money. It was just kind of about how could I leverage, something that I could make that it could then get sold as opposed to just like using my time to make money. And I think one of the earliest things that I can remember is I think it was in like fourth or fifth grade, you know, this is pre-internet, um, <laughs> where, you know, things traveled by, you know, you traveling or like, you know, seeing things from other people. And, um, I had, I had lived in Portland prior to moving back to Boise with my family. And and when I was in Portland, a friend had taught me how to make an origami paper crane. And so at the time, known in my elementary school, um, in Boise, Idaho had really seen or, or, or uh, experienced an origami paper crane. And so I remember buying a bunch of paper and making these cranes and selling them to kids at at lunch <laughs> with their lunch money. So, um, you know, the, you know, these kids went out without chocolate milk or whatever, cause I was trying to hustle kids for, uh, for these origami paper cranes and you know, so that was kind of my first entrance into entrepreneurialism, I think. And then, you know, since since then, I've done a handful of just funny and goofy things. What probably the 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 best example of a of a failed um, you know venture was my buddy and I uh, hung Christmas lights. Uh, in college, uh, one winter, and for those who live in the Pacific Northwest, it's not exactly an ideal time to be outside on roofs um, in <laughs> Seattle. So, uh, you know, learn the hard way that way. You know that sometimes, you know, you got to be a little bit smarter guy. Spend your time.
0: What about um, kind of leadership uh, sensibilities? Because obviously leading the company as you've done uh, up to this point, founding the company takes a a different sensibility that you learn. Is that, did you have certain values that you grew up with from your parents or uh, early jobs, anything like that?
1: Yeah. You know, I, you know, I think I'm fairly lucky in the sense that I grew up with, with three older sisters who are incredibly smart, much smarter than I uh, will ever be. And Yeah, with that, they also had strong work ethic. And I think that came from, you know, encouraged, certainly encouragement from, from our parents, firsthand example of them working hard, but also this just kind of setting this expectation. It's funny how, you know, just simply setting an expectation allows people to rise to the occasion or, or not. Um, I guess you could not rise to the occasion, but there was kind of always this expectation of performance or, or excellence within our family. And, you know, being the the youngest of four kids, seeing my sisters go through junior high and high school um, and into college, and all of them maintaining above a four O, it was then the expectation mm-hmm. that I have a four O. And and while I was not the smartest one in the room, um, I had to either work harder or or, uh, or cheat or steal to get to get those grades. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that piece for me was seeing that example set by my sisters and my parents. Um, definitely helped out. You know, I think another piece looking back on my childhood um, was that I think at an early age, I had a pretty, pretty high EQ. Um, and now it's, you know, being talked about a lot, which is great. Cause I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of things that people can do to improve their emotional um, intelligence. And while I didn't like it at the time, my dad was a, um, was a psychologist. And so, you know, I was never grounded. I would never you know, get in trouble and then just be sent to my room or, you know, couldn't do something, you know, hang out with friends for a week. Um, It was, we would sit down and and we would, my dad would help me unpack, you know, what was the decision behind my choice? And, you know, it was brutal, brutal at the time because, you know, for the first 20 minutes I'd sit there in silence, just super stubborn, you know, my dad would just wait and be like, I'm, when you're ready to talk, I'm here. You know, so I think at an early age, while I hated, hated, hated those conversations, you know, it helped me, help me realize. And I I hear it today too, where, you know, it kind of makes me wince when people say, you know, Oh, so-and-so made me feel this way or so-and-so, you know, I did this because of so-and-so they said this and I reacted that way. And they, they made me do that. And, And I remember at a very early age, you know, saying something about how my sister made me upset or she made me mad. And, you know, my dad would always say, you know, she didn't make you do anything. You chose to be upset. You chose to hit her or you chose to X, Y, Z, right. You know, and I think that an early age really reinforced this idea that you're in control of your choices and your emotions. And I think that's kind of the foundation for, for solid leadership. So, you know, coincidentally, I think that kind of just got imparted into my life at an early age. And then, you know, I definitely kind of went more of the less academic and more social, you know, as part of, um, student council and, you know, you learn some things there. And, you know, I think those little, those little building blocks throughout junior high and high school of, of learning what it means to be a leader and to, to show up and to, to make good decisions, um, was kind of the foundation to eventually what I'm, what I'm doing today. But it's, I'll say, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely not easy leading, leading any, any team really, I guess. But, you know, I felt, I felt like my sweet spot was probably five to 10, ten people. I felt um, like that was a really good spot for me and, and I've been growing and it's been a challenge um, as we've gotten bigger to, to continue that, that leadership that's effective. And so, you know, I think last year I, I hired an executive coach to help out on some of those pieces. and And so far, you know, what I hear from the employees is that it's been pretty good. So, yeah, I think just, it's a, it's a constant journey. It's never really a destination. So,
0: well, the good thing is that you were, uh, again, your, uh, emotional intelligence was there. You're smart enough and vulnerable enough to know that, uh, that it's a journey for you too. And that you're not perfect at it no matter what you learned growing up. So you've reached out for help and uh, with a coach. And that's a really good step to take uh, along the way. And it's hard to scale. It's hard to scale leadership and all of these things. Uh, I was just cringing when you were talking about your dad uh, and those conversations, (laughs) because I mean, I've got a 16 year old daughter. And if I tried to just get in her head like that, you know, oh my God, I just, that wouldn't, that just wouldn't work, you know? And I can imagine you saying back, then just put me in my room you know just uh, oh, yeah. let me let me be grounded you know yeah, uh, yeah. although in you know <laughs> now it's easier to you look back and go god that was probably really important and good for him that he did that but Uh, at the time, you know, we, we're not really, you know, we can't figure out when our parents want to talk to us with some sense like that. Uh, so, uh, that's really something, but all those things contributed. Yeah. Um, can you think of any other time where maybe you learned something from an unexpected source?
1: Yeah, let's see. You know, I mean, it kind of pertains to leadership because I think sometimes, you know, leaders need to know when, when you can and can't break rules. You know, and I think early on, I, I recognized that, you know, if you don't ask for things, you, you know, you, a you're not going to get them, or b you're not even have the chance for someone to say no, right? And so, I think one of the earliest examples was for that I remember is I remember being in high school, um, and, and in Boise, high school started in tenth grade, and there was a, I was really into video. I picked up our, our my parents' video camera, um, started making some fun films with my friends on the side, and then you know like skateboard videos and ski videos, and then. I remember being like, Oh, I could like film a wedding and make some money. And, you know, I remember, you know, seeing some flyer from some guy who was charging like a thousand bucks for a wedding or I I can't remember what it was. And I was like, Oh, I mean, even half that is a bunch of money, you know? And so I remember filming weddings with my parents' camera. And so I got into film kind of like eighth, ninth grade. And and so I got into high school and um, you know, video production classes didn't start until 11th grade. Um, And so I remember, and I went in and, you know, kind of, I don't know if it's petition, but I basically went to the school registrar and said, you know, I want to take this as a tenth grader, and they're like, well, it's not offered for tenth graders. And I just remember saying, well, why why is it not? And they just didn't really have a good good reason, you know. And so they're like, well, if you get Mr. Parsons to sign off on on a tenth grader taking this class, then I guess you can take it. So, of course, you know, I already kind of had his approval and blessing. So, you know, I think that was a good example of of, you know, kind of just digging, you know, instead of taking everything face value of just going, okay, well, well, why is it that way? And and they might have said maybe there was a good reason. I don't know, but there wasn't. And so I got in the class early and, you know, and then we kind of made up some new classes, um, senior year for, to extend that education in in film production. So, you know, I think something like, you know, those things are kind of unexpected of learning kind of when to push back and to, to kind of ask questions. Same, similar thing happened in college where uh, basically I was the first employee of a hand warmer company and eventually became a part owner of it. Um, this company called little hotties hand warmers and, I got connected there from a business mentor whose best friend started it, and the the lesson that I learned, kind of wrapping up school was you know at the time I was twenty I was flying this you know similar um, time ski accident and I was flying back and forth from China helping manage our supply chain while I was in college, mm-hmm. and I almost dropped out of school because I had this incredible business experience that I was going on um, you know Rick who had started the company had really entrusted me with a lot of um, a lot of capabilities and responsibilities. And to finish school, I had to like check all these, I had to like get 15 or 20 credits in your specialty. And I didn't want to take any specialty classes because I was traveling so much. And so, you know, fortunately, a professor said, Hey, I'll kind of be your sponsor. You can actually complete graduation by taking, you know, uh, internship one, internship two, uh, independent study one, independent study two, advanced independent study. And so basically I just had to write these papers on what I was doing and turn them into this professor who ended up kind of completing the credits that I needed to graduate. So, you know, I think those were two examples of, you know, kind of finding these alternative ways. And, And I think that applies now to business of, you know, whether it's negotiation on a contract or, um, you know, any, any sort of thing you come up against where a vendor or partner says, ah, it can't be done. Instead of just taking it at face value, kind of pushing a little bit further and saying, okay, well, why can't it be done? Have you never done it? Or is it really not possible? Or, or what are the, what are the limitations to, to achieving this objective? So those are probably a couple examples, um, in a weird way that kind of helped frame my mindset in business.
0: Well, I think just even your courage to ask those questions came from your dad, too. You know, uh, just uh, and that's look, look at the opportunity that's come from that. So you mentioned the the ski accident that really changed your life. And uh, let's talk about that. You were 20 years old. What happened?
1: Yeah. So um, at the time, I was working for Little Hotties Hand Warmers, um, you know, doing a ton of stuff. And then I was also filming, you know, ski film for the local ski ski mountain. So we had. I've uh, done a f- ton of filming over the winter and you know, did some fun stuff, hanging out of helicopters. And, you know, I kind of, there's kind of two paths. I was either going to go business into little hotties or kind of more of this, you know, wannabe Warren Miller ski mm-hmm. film guy. And so in April, April 15th of 20, uh, 2006, we were, we were filming the mountain at Stevens Pass. And on the front side, coming in for basically lunch, came down and, and I was getting ready for a shot. When I skied with my camera, I didn't have my poles, so my balance was a little bit off and ended up in this kind of treed area, tried to get out of it. And and when I went to kind of bail, something kind of flipped my ski open, and I ended up taking uh, this large tree right on my right inner thigh and, and completely cracked my femur in half, which is the biggest bone in your body. And is, is extremely painful to, to break. And so, you know, ironically, my roommate had done something similar two years earlier, um, skiing or snowboarding. And he got, you know, he re- he recovered. He came back from the hospital. He was fine. And he, but he said, "Hey, you know what? Never, never break your femur because apparently, if you hit your femur, you can hit your femoral artery." and essentially bleed to death internally in about 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. And so, you know, I think ignorance is a little bit, is bliss sometimes. Or if I hadn't known that, you know, I'd probably been like, oh, my leg's broken, it really hurts, but I'm going to make it through this. And so uh, I remember sitting there thinking, holy cow, you know, this could be the end because I just cracked my femur. My The photo of, uh, I think it's on our website, but it's off to the right. I mean, it's completely out of whack. And when you break your leg like that, basically those jagged bones are just kind of floating around nebulously and can hit your artery and sever it. And so you know, the, 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 the life or death, you know, kind of images flashed before my eyes. And, um, I had this very calm experience where, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was a little bit panicked, but I just remember kind of calming myself and really trying to like think through the situation. I was with a few people who uh, weren't able to call ski patrol and, and hella back. Uh, we ended up going out through an ambulance cause um, I didn't hit my artery, but before we, we realized that, um, I was mostly stable, you know, it was, it was interesting cause I, I, I started thinking about, what it what mattered in my life, and and the first thing I thought about was, you know, my my now wife. We've been dating for about three years, and I remember just thinking, like, you know, I would probably go on and date her for another three years, you know, mm-hmm. but but really, I was like, you know, I, I'd love to marry this woman. She's incredible, you know. I need to stop messing around, and uh, we ended up getting <laughs> married about a year a year later, and we've been married eleven years since, and uh, have have two beautiful kids, and we've. Uh, she actually works at the company as well, so we, we've kind of been able to create this amazing life together. And uh, so that was a really good decision. <laughs> um, and then the uh, you know the second thing was it, was it was kind of morbid, but I literally thought about what, what would people. This is how like self absorbed I was. I was like, what would people think about me at my funeral? What would they say about me? <laughs> and you know, asking that question really struck me because I realized at that moment that nobody would have got got up and said anything positive about how I had impacted my community, how I had done anything for anybody else. Like there was not, you know, my grandfather who had passed away in 96, his, you know, there were people lined up, you know, out the door talking about the great things that he had done, um, and how he'd helped his community with his life. And so I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, Holy cow, nobody, nobody would say anything about me. Um, except for I was a funny guy, you know, I was kind of a jokester. Um, and that really struck me because, you know, I wanted to, if I was going to die, I wanted to be remembered for somebody that cared about others. Um, and so that kind of, that kind of, immediately changed my perspective on life and, and what we're all here for. And so, um, you know, fast forward about three years after that accident, I started, I I went full-time with little hotties hand warmers. We had a great run, sold the company in 2009. And then, uh, that was kind of my opportunity to start, uh, my own business. And, And the idea, um, from observing my grandfather and his legacy was how do you merge Business and philanthropy together. How do you, how do you use market-based solutions, and how do you, how do you create wealth, and then choose to be generous uh, to help impact people around the world? Um, so that was that was kind of the that's that's the that's the story of of the, that, that darn tree.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's the, the fact that you would be thinking about at 20 years old, your legacy already. And what people would say is your funeral. I mean, you're 20. (laughs) There's, there's plenty of time for that. You know, I, I, uh, as you think about, you you know, I hope your grandfather had a nice long life to build up that list of accomplishments. Uh, so people would speak nicely about it. But just the fact that you were thinking about that obviously was a, a critical time for you. And I remember, uh, Uh, similar story of having a ski accident where I broke my shoulder in 1998. And uh, I was dating a woman that I had just met like three months earlier. And she was in Europe at the time with her parents. And uh, when when I called her and told her what happened, she... left her parents and came back, took care of me for the next couple of weeks. And so, uh, that was it, you know, I said, okay, this one's for me, <laughs> you know, she, uh, she came back for me. So, uh, but yeah, I still bear the, the scar of that, uh, that, that accident back many years ago. So, uh, as you think about the company today, what, what you, would you consider to be your, your biggest challenges?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, it sounds it sounds like when someone's like, "Well, how do you how do you how are you successful at scale?" You know, and you know, I think there's a lot around clarity and 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 you know, mission driven, and we you know, we check a lot of these boxes um, for sure. But I think in any sort of complex organization, you know, we have a distribution center, we have a we have an office, we have a store, we have remote workers, we have a sales team. You know, is just really c- continuing to to clarify the mission and make everything that we do within the company relevant to every single team member, all the way down to the baristas in our cafe, um, is one of the biggest challenges. And it, it, it's funny cause it sounds so easy, right? Of just like, oh yeah, here's our mission and here's how you tie up to it. But the practical day to day and making sure that everybody maps to, uh, what the company is headed towards the success that we're all trying to have and feel, um, is definitely, is, is, it will always be a challenge, but you know, I used to kind of I don't know if fight it is the right word, but just get really, really frustrated. Um, you know, of like, well, everybody should know what we're trying to do. And, um, you know, we're achieving this together and, but really kind of distilling it down to, you know, actual numbers for people, um, helps, you know, Hey, here's the quarterly goal. Here's why it matters. Here's, here's how it maps to you as an individual, you know, and then, and then celebrating people, um, you know, and, and just remembering that, you know, we're, we're, we're working with humans and humans love to be rewarded and, and recognized and, So that's an ongoing challenge that I've kind of leaned into and really embraced of how do we, how do we make this relevant for everybody? You know, some of the more tactical challenges are, you know, just international business in general, right? Like, you know, I remember, I remember years ago, there was a, there was a port strike in Seattle and that affected cash flow. And I remember, you know, not being able to pay some vendors because we couldn't ship product to customers and charge them. And so there's always, you know, there's always kind of something, you know, whether, you know, there's tariffs being thrown around and you know, will will that affect our margin? And if our margin goes down, what does that mean? And so there's, you know, there's kind of always those, those natural business challenges, um, and complications. And then, like I said earlier, as a, as a CPG consumer product, good company, you know, you got to buy inventory and, and, um, you know, ultimately humans make these. And so you have to manage QC and, and make sure that everything is kind of smooth sailing and, you know, inevitably, there's always going to be some sort of issue, whether it's, you know, customs delay or, you know, some sort of, thing that has to get fixed at the factory or the print network in the US. So there's a whole host of challenges. But that you know at the end of the day, that's kind of what makes it fun. If there was a again, if it was a destination, you'd arrive and you'd be like, that's it, you know? Um, so the fact that it's a journey is kind of a blessing in disguise.
0: Well you've just listed all the things that go into running a business. You know, welcome welcome to business. And you like you said You know, your sweet spot might have been when you had five or 10 people. I mean, and uh, you have an incredible mission, obviously. But how do you, on a practical basis, make that barista feel like he or she is connected to the mission of the company?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think first off, just being really intentional about the time that I spend there. So as a good example is, you know, I'm pretty conscious of not being on my phone. It's little things, right? It's like not being on my phone when I walk up, Um, you know, a lot of customers you know they're very transactional, and they look at their phone. And you know I'm certainly guilty of that too. Going to another cafe or to a Starbucks or whatever, and you know really humanizing it. So making sure that when I do walk in the store, my phone's in my pocket, and I'm greeting every single team member by name, and you know really engaging with them about how their day was, and you know what are they looking forward to. And I follow. I try to follow all my team members on Instagram, so I'm I'm aware and include into you know what they're passionate about, and and kind of kind of diving in and. You know, seeing where I can add value, I remember one of our baristas, Tyler, um, you know, was super into analog photography and I had this old Canon, um, A1 that, you know, he was saving up for. And I certainly hadn't used it in, I don't know, five plus years, 10 years. And so I remember gifting it to him and it. I mean, it, it just changed his, his week or his mother's year. You know, he was so pumped to get that. And um, so really kind of leaning into the human side of of interacting with people is huge. I think that's a great a great place to start, and, and I've seen some some good fruition from that. And um, you know, and then I think beyond that is um, you know, constantly communicating, you know, what we're up to um, as a company and why that matters and who we're granting to, so that that physically manifests itself out in kind of a biweekly email that comes from me, um, just kind of what's working, what's not working, what are the challenges that we're facing, and and being as transparent as we can with with the team members and then celebrating you know taking time to celebrate them and then you know get them, getting them lots of product and then adding value uh back into their lives and so you know when we when we first started you know we didn't have healthcare. we and then we kind of scaled up and it was you know we couldn't do it all at once but i think we paid for about half of everyone's medical bill or uh, premiums uh, a few years ago and then then eventually last year bumped uh, bumped up to 100 percent coverage and so you know kind of what's the next thing is it is it more paid time off is it 401k you know how do we how do we help empower our employees for a better future and so those ones are you know just a little bit longer track of you know how do we how do we grow the company and um and then being transparent about that too i think one of the best things we did as a company was uh we kind of did this open town hall forum for about a month where uh nick our chief impact officer kind of interviewed me um in front of the company and, and did q a's with our team members of you know, how's, how does the business run? What do you think about what are the challenges? kind of what we've just talked about? And, you know, I think a lot of team members' eyes were really opened up to all the things that, that do cross my desk or that I'm concerned about and how do we address those and, you know, ultimately helping them understand, you know, profit and loss financial statements so that they understand, you know, their decisions help impact how we're able to move the ball forward on, on profitability, which then allows us to be more generous into their lives, whether that's continued coverage in healthcare or, you know, daycare stipend or whatever, whatever, the thing is that we're trying to grow into the future. So I think, you know, I think just being transparent, humanizing it, and then just constantly communicating has allowed us to really be meaningful all the way down to, to baristas.
0: Well, that's like the perfect list. And and I think how you started is probably the most important to showing people that you care about them. And uh, humanizing the experience to me is really the most important thing you can do for everybody in the organization. Um, As you think, Brian, about your own leadership skills, is there an area that you're still kind of working on you feel like you could use uh, to uh, improve?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I think one of the things and you know, it's kind of a, a double edged sword, right? Like, I think a lot of people are excited about a founder led company, you know, I think years ago, it was certainly like maybe too much passion, (laughs) Um, you know, from, from me, as far as, you know, being really excited or really upset about things. Um, So making sure that I'm really conscious about, you know, what matters for the overall organization, not just what matters to me. And so I think, you know, I'm constantly trying to make sure that, you know, the right amount of passion shows up for the team, that people know that I care. Cause I think I went from like, oh my gosh, this guy is like really passionate and really emotional and, um, you know, kind of crazy <laughs> maybe is what people probably thought to then kind of, you know, I think maybe a year ago it went the other way of not unengaging, but really kind of being a little bit too, you know, kind of vanilla and, and boilerplate and that people do want me to be excited and, and, and passionate about some certain, th- certain things. So I, as a, as a leader, I'm really trying to find that middle ground of, not exhausting everyone with it, with the ambition and the passion, but also showing up and being present, um, with a healthy level of, of passion so that people can get that energy from it without burdening them. So kind of that, that barometer right in the middle somewhere.
0: Yeah. That's something, you know, you'll always work on, but I, I would think that the the passion that uh, has driven you this whole time is something you don't want to restrain too much and people have come to really appreciate you. Um, as is uh, if you think about a younger person who maybe, uh, didn't have to go through a ski accident or go to Liberia or have this, you know, these life changing experiences, but just someone who was kind of starting out, uh, in business, what kind of advice would you give them?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, I think for um, anybody who, who wants to go into business and just in, in general, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible journey. It's one of the most, Rewarding and challenging things you'll ever go through. It's you know, it's uh, as you know, as a parent, it's it's somewhat similar. It's different, but you know that that love, that love, and that you know frustration that you have um, when things don't go the way that you want them to. It, it's a blast. But I think some of the the biggest things you know is a lot of people um, who who want to get into business or start something. You know, they I would say just you know absolutely clarify what you're trying to solve and 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 really find out before you add value back into the world. Cause I truly believe that for a business to be successful, you have to add value. And as soon as you stop adding value, uh, you'll lose business or or it'll simply go away. And so I think to make sure that you continue to add value, I think you as an individual need to find uh, what you value um, first and foremost. Cause I think that will then clarify the mission of your business, why you get up every day. Um, and then if you clarify what what you value, only then will you be able to go and add value back into the world um, and continue to do so over the course of a, a, you know, a year, multiple years, decades or whatever. So really getting clear, I think, is, is really, really important.
0: I think that's great advice. Also, that's where your passion comes from once you do get clear. Uh, so, well, I, I love to end with uh, these five quick hit questions, kind of the association yeah. game. So let's do that. Uh, how about if you name a leader you look up to?
1: Oh man, leader that I look up to, Um, Andy Stanley. He um, he has a leadership podcast. Um, I don't know if you want an explanation about it. Yeah, because
0: I'm not familiar (laughs) with him. Yeah,
1: yeah. He uh, he has a leadership podcast um, that's phenomenal, and he's uh, he's actually a pastor of a fairly large church in the Atlanta area. Um, but his leadership podcast is, is, um, you wouldn't really know that from the leadership podcast per se. Uh, he's just a very, very insightful and, and wise individual. And he's interviewed some tremendous people on the podcast. Frank Blake, CEO of Home Depot is an incredible one preeminence in business, um, with Jackson Spaulding the agency out of Atlanta. So just a lot of, a lot of good nuggets. And there's a question that he's kind of um, injected in some people's offsites, some companies offsites, And I, I still just use it personally day to day and and in business, but he always asks himself, what is the wise thing to do? And I think that question just, you know, as a leader really cuts to the core. And I think, I think given the news cycle, I think a lot more leaders could be asking that question.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that's a great one. I could have used that in my tennis match this morning too. (laughs) How about a great book that influenced your leadership style?
1: Yeah, a great book. Um, You know, I think... I, uh, I read Simon Sinek's, um, start with why years and years ago. And in fact, I remember watching his Ted talk or his TEDx talk. This is like circa 2009, 2010. So it was kind of before everything, you know, really exploded for him. And, and I think it's so important for leaders to be effective, to really understand their purpose and their why. And I think he does such a good job of distilling down why it makes sense to find your why and to start with why, um, because if you don't understand and you're not able to communicate that clearly to the organization, then you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, spinning out doing other, other things. And so I think, you know, that book, uh, really helps solidify kind of the mission of what you're doing, whether it's business, life, nonprofits. I think that's a really, really solid book. Yeah. It's a great one. Great book.
0: Uh, how about an all time favorite movie? Oh, river runs through it. One of my favorites. Mm, yeah, that's a really good one. How about a favorite TV series to binge watch?
1: Ooh, you know that's a that's a good one. I uh, I I admittedly don't watch a ton of TV, um, but my I'm trying to think of like what my wife. Oh, um, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's um, the chef series on Netflix, and I'm totally blanking on it. Chef's Table. Chef's that's Table. Yeah, is. that's what I was going to Chef's say. Table. Yeah. The cinematography and stories of creativity and passion are unbelievable. Yeah. Like, such an inspiring series. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then
0: lastly, is there something about you that most people don't know?
1: Oh, what most people don't know about me? That is a that is a really good question. Um, that is a really good question. What do people not know usually about me? I'm left-handed. Most people don't know I'm left-handed.
0: Oh, well, that's a good one. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, good, you know,
0: I'll tell you your story is just incredible, and you know, even beyond the the personal challenges you had that may have changed the course of your life, I think you had influences from early on that have led to uh, not only you starting a business but the type of business that you now run with Mir, and uh, it's really incredible. Let me share, Brian, a couple of things that i that I learned just from listening to you today and Um, and I think we're, we're seeing an increase in this, uh, whole idea that it's possible to do well and do good at the same time, the ability to merge business and, and philanthropy, uh, and, and they really should be one and the same, um, over time. Uh, the fact that you guys have been able to donate or grant nearly a million dollars, just incredible, must make you and and the uh, meerkats feel very good, but you still needed a good product, right? So you, you know, it wasn't enough to just say we're going to, cause then you may as well be a not-for-profit. You wanted to be a a for-profit company, you you had to have a good product, you needed to use innovation to make a difference, and so you need all, all parts of that. I love that you had a front row seat to your grandfather's family business those examples early on, sold origami cranes and, uh, yeah, yeah. and did whatever you needed to do. Um, but so many of us have influences, if we think about it, from family and friends. You know, you had your smart older sisters and, uh, and that pressure to, to get that 4.0, 4. however you could get there. But just whatever it was, you had good examples to live by. Uh, certainly your dad... Um, having his background as a psychologist, uh, you know, went a lot into the emotional intelligence that you you have today in life and in business, and, and I'm sure where a lot of your passion comes from. You know, you said that you're you are in control of your choices and your emotions, which is so true. Uh, I think the idea of of just being putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. Uh, if you don't ask, you don't you lose the opportunity. Um, just so true and something. You know, I try to share with with my two kids where I have one that will just ha- ask anytime, you know, just it's like <laughs> second nature. And the other one uh, is so afraid to do it. And uh, um, and you just realize the difference that 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 makes. Um, obviously, the ski accident went a long way to make you think about what's important in life and both in business and in, in your personal life. And, and now you you married uh, to your then girlfriend, but now wife and have a beautiful family you know in business i think the thing that that i've been most passionate about all these years is what you talked about in terms of how to get all those people connected to what you do as you grow and uh, and i think you know you will grow and you're going to go from 40 to 100 and more people i hope and um, and you're going to still get that same great feeling by sharing with each individual person and connecting with them on a pu- on a personal and human way And I think another one is to just be measured yourself, right? You said that you've had highs and lows in terms of your, uh, how you exhibit your passion in the business. And sometimes it's really good and sometimes it can go in the other direction and that there's some balance and you are the, you're, you know, in this case, the man, right? You are setting an example. Everybody's looking to you. Uh, And so you want to be measured uh, in how you use that passion to help enable and grow everybody that you're working with. And and then just the, the advice you gave to others that were getting in business. One is just to encourage people. I mean, I would agree with you after all these years, uh, there's just nothing like going into your own business. And with the highs and lows and the challenges, successes, the exhilaration that comes from it, it's just a wonderful thing that you and I would encourage anybody given the opportunity to do that. But where you, where you ended, which is this idea of clarity of purpose, and what I want to do is I want to just pull back on that a little bit just to say to younger people that while you'd like to have clarity of purpose and intention or desire about what you want to do, at the age of 20, most people really still don't know what they want to do. And uh, let's be honest, right? I mean, our passion kind of comes to us over time. And so what I try to do with with my kids and I think is important with young people today is to, to, to try to remove a little bit of the pressure to use those core values that you've been uh, given from your parents and and your jobs and your teachers uh, to do great work, be the best that you can be. And and that passion and that clarity is going to come over time. And as you gain that, then you're ready to go in, start the business, you know, make a difference and, and continue to be success and success have impact on other people. So uh, wonderful story, Brian. I uh, really appreciate you being on the podcast today.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully there's a few nuggets for, for folks in there, but yeah, you can, anyone can check us out on near.com or typically Instagram is kind of the, the, the main platform for the, where we engage with customers and, and fans. So
0: wonderful and are your products available in some of these retail stores rei patagonia etc
1: yep yep yeah exactly yeah so there's um you yeah, know kind of across the nation and uh, patagonia stores or a fair fair bit of cafes uh we were in starbucks earlier this year for a limited edition deal and then um trying to think of what's What's down in the Dallas area? We're working on some fun stuff with uh, a company down there, and Blue Bottle Coffee has been a, a fun partner for us um, domestically and internationally as well. So yeah, you can check it out. A lot of uh, a lot of cafes and, and breweries locally, obviously online as well.
0: Well, great. Well, I encourage everybody to go to Mir.com, check out and buy uh, Mir's products in, in these stores. And because uh, not only are you getting a great product, but you're, you're giving back at the same time. Uh, thank you so much, Brian. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing with Purpose podcast. Until next time.